Hi, welcome to the City View Phoenix podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Well, hey, you know what? Throughout history, there have been these amazing teams that have been put together that have accomplished great things. One of those first major amazing teams is known as the Dream Team. I don't know how many of you remember the Dream Team of the 1990s, the U.S. Olympic team. I remember that as a kid. I have this jacket that I won in, I think, a Wheaties box. Um, how it fit in there, how I got it, I really don't know. All I remember is Wheaties and the jacket. I, it feels like it's made out of paper. But you have the Dream Team of the 1990s. And then you have the A-Team. I mean, what better team is the A-Team? You have the A-Team put together of these guys that just sort of went out and accomplished great things. And then you've got the friends team. The friends team that did just some great thing as friends and they just loved one another and sort of hated one another and were great examples for all of society and how to live. And then you have the super team. You have the super team of the warriors who just accomplished so much as a team as you put together key figures of amazing basketball, t- basketball players to try to beat everybody. And then you have the 2020, 2021 Phoenix Suns. Man, that was a big cheer. I mean, not going to throw some guilt, but I mean, let's cheer like that for Jesus sometimes. Um, I mean, if we're going to cheer. But you know, we have all these teams, but here's the thing with these teams. Each person is picked for a reason, picked for an ability. Pick because they have something to offer to make that team a better team. Jesus didn't make teams like that. When Jesus chose the people who were going to be his followers, they were not the best of the best. They were a ragtag group of people that when you looked at them, you said, Jesus, you want him? Jesus, you pick her? Jesus, you think that's the best you can do? Jesus isn't like, that's that's not the best I can do, but I can do the best with you and in you and through you. And so we're going to be looking at Jesus and these no ordinary followers of who he has, who followed him, and what does that look like. Let's pray. Here's my main point of today. Jesus is looking for available people, not perfect ones. He's looking for available. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for, Lord, <laughs> desiring to use, empower, and flow through people like us. And Jesus, I ask that this morning you'd speak to us no matter where we're at. Maybe we've come in today thinking, I am not worthy of even being here. I, I, I feel, I just don't know about this whole church thing. Maybe we come in knowing what we did last night, what we did last week. Maybe we would come in here knowing, you know what, I'm just going to be a good Christian. I'm going to live my life. But Jesus, I don't know if there's any more that you could do with me. Jesus, I pray that today we would all realize that you want to take us, change us, empower us to change the world. So Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us. Speak to your people at churches all over the valley, wherever your people might be, whether they're at Valley Life or maybe they're at Cross Church or Calvary Community, CCV, or here at City View. Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, as Jared just said, we were at summer camp. There were 31 kids that you helped get to go to camp. It was an amazing experience. Camp was supposed to cost over $300 a kid, but because of your faithfulness, because you, you went to different 
events that we did or you helped with fundraisers and all those things, kids, our students only had to pay $75 to go to camp. So thank you, thank you, thank you. For, so when you wonder, where does my money go when I give to a church? Does it just go into Jeremiah's pocket? And does he just drive a super nice car? I drive a 2006 Scion XB with parts falling off. It's a great car. It gets me from point A to point B. Pretty cheap, I might say. That's what I drive. But where your money goes, it goes to helping things at Park Meadows, helping do outreaches. It helps your kid, these students go to camp. That's what it does. It helps reach our valley for Christ because we know Jesus is the hope of the world. Nothing else. No nonprofit, no another organization. Jesus is the hope of the world, and he's the one that's going to change lives. So we are continuing our series throughout the book of Mark, and what we've done is instead of going verse by verse through the book of Mark, we're looking at big ideas. We're going to go through the whole book. We're going to hit every verse. We're going to hit it all, but we're going to hit it in sort of a different, creative kind of way. It's totally new for me, so it's stretching me out of my box, even as a preacher, of doing something that I'm not used to doing. And today, or over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Jesus and the followers that he chose to follow him, what makes them, how and why does he use them, and all of that. And as we look at these different followers and these different people, we're going to realize something that we don't have to have it all together to be used. But we just have to know the one who's putting us together. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking your life, the broken pieces that you have, and he's saying, let me make you whole. And that's what Jesus does. So we're in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, and let's read, and then we're going to look at these 12 disciples, these first 12 of, of these men that Jesus chose. And the reason why we're looking at these first 12 now, there are women that followed Jesus and all that. We're going to look at the women as well, but right now we're going to start with these first 12. It says in verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and he could send them out to preach, and to have authority, and to cast out demons. And he appointed, and he appointed, them tw- and he appointed twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James, to him they gave, he gave them the nickname of sons of thunder, to, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, whom, who betrayed him. So here we see the disciples. Now, I, I want to just give you a, a quick little I, sort of idea. The disciples, and I don't know how many of us realize or know this, but the disciples, Jesus sort of divided them into groups. He, he had, there's three different groups of disciples. The, the first four Um, you see Simon, Andrew, James, and John were sort of the leaders of the group. Simon, in in every list, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, in the list where the disciples were numbered, were named, Simon or Peter is always first. He seems to be the main leader, the spokesman, just the guy who took charge of the disciples. That was Simon. Then you have Andrew, James, and John. Those sort of were the first four, the leaders of this group. And then you have the next group. You have Philip who sort of led that next group. You have Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. And then you have the last group, that we, the group that we don't know too much about, but it, James is always named as sort of the leader of that group. James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. We're going to first look at Peter. 
Peter is probably one of the disciples that we know the most about. And I think the reason why we know the most about him is because he's sort of the most outspoken, the one that gets in trouble the most, the one that puts his foot in the, his, his, his foot in the mouth the most. He's that Peter. Peter, we know he was a fisherman. Peter's known as the leader. He was the most outspoken. Peter may have been a little hot-headed, but he was a great leader. You see, one thing we know about Peter is Peter asked a lot of questions. And great leaders ask questions. Have you ever been around those people that, that they're a leader or they lead an organization but they never ask questions? They're always telling you why they're so good at what they do. They're always great at telling you why they deserve that leadership role. But have you ever been around a leader who always asks you questions? That's a good leader. A leader who, who lifts up and builds up. Now, Aunt Peter's going to get to that point. But what we know about Peter is he asked a lot of questions. He was always questioning and challenging Jesus more than all the other disciples together. When it came to all the disciples and how many questions and times they challenged Jesus, Peter did it more than all of them combined. Peter's the one that went to Jesus when they had difficult questions. Peter's went to them and he asked the questions. When, when it came to trying to find out, okay, Jesus, how often should I really forgive somebody? Can you imagine asking Jesus, like, how close can I get to the line, Jesus? How much do I really have to love people? I mean, do I have to love them a lot, or can I just love them a little bit? Like, what if they're really annoying, Jesus? That was Peter. He was that person who said, okay, how many times? Like, seven times, Jesus? Jesus like, no, how about 70 times seven? How about, there's never an end to you forgiving Peter, for you forgiving Peter, or people, Peter. Um, and that was Peter. Peter's the one that came up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, Hey, you know, we gave up everything. What do we get as a reward for following you, Jesus? It's sort of like my kids coming up to me after they do chores. Hey, what do I get for doing chores? You get to live here. You get to eat today. That's what you get. That's your reward. You get to eat. I don't like dinner. I don't care. You get to eat. Figure it out on your own. I don't have any money. Too bad, so sad. I worked hard. You eat what I, what I give before, or what Larry, mommy makes. So, you know, that was Peter. Peter, what, what kind of reward do we get for following you? These, these are the questions that Peter asked. Peter asked, Jesus, hey, you know John, the disciple? Jesus like, yeah. He goes, so, Jesus, you said I'm going to die on a cross like you. What are you going to do with him? Jesus goes, this is none of your business. Jesus like, I could let him live forever if I want. You just follow me. And Peter's like, all right. But that, that was Peter asking questions, wanting, always wanting to know more. That's what made him a good leader. Peter also is the one that when Jesus is walking on the water and the disciples think he's a ghost, they're like, what in the world is happening right now? There's a ghost on water. And Peter's like, but what if it's Jesus? And he goes, hey, if that's you, Jesus, call me out on water. And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, it's me. Come out on the water. And Peter's like, all right. So Peter's that one that's like, yeah, I'm walking on water. We don't know how close he got to Jesus. We don't know how far away. But we know he was the only one walking on water. And then at some point, he took his eyes off Jesus because whenever you take your eyes off Jesus, you start to sink in life. That's just what happens. Peter starts to sink, and then Jesus saves him. Peter also is the one. We see a lot of the actions of Peter. Peter's also the one that when the people try to take Jesus captive, Peter gets out his sword, and because he's such a bad aim, because he's a fisherman, not a swordsman, he cuts off a guy's ear while he's going for the guy's head. How do you do that? It's like Giannis missing a, field, uh, a free throw, but who knows? How do you do that? How do you airball it? But, you know, that's Peter, and Peter also is the one that, that he denied Jesus three times. Peter. But Peter's also the one that when Jesus empowered him, he led over 3,000 people to come to know him. Peter, a mighty disciple, 
who's far from perfect, but exactly what Jesus needed to fulfill his mission. And then we meet Peter's brother, who also was a fisherman. Peter's brother, Andrew, is his name, and he was probably one of Jesus' first disciples. He was probably one of his first men that followed him. He, he meets Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness, as, as this guy named John the Baptist is going about telling people, hey, there's a guy coming, his name is the Messiah, you need to follow him. And Andrew is following John the Baptist, and then through John the Baptist, Andrew meets Jesus, and he chooses to follow Jesus. Andrew is never somebody who wants attention drawn to himself, but yet he's a leader. You know those quiet leaders? that never want attention. Peter always wants attention. I relate to Peter. Um, not that I always want attention, but I do always want attention. Um, I like to be the boss. I like to be the one in charge. I like to ask questions. I like to just, I'm a bulldozer like Peter. That's just, I, I can be, I, I relate to Peter. Andrew is, is nothing like his brother. Nothing like his brother. Andrew is the person that as soon as he meets Jesus, he goes to his brother Peter and says, hey, you have to meet this guy, Jesus. Andrew is known as the inviter. He's the inviter disciple, the one that is always inviting people to meet the Savior, to meet Jesus. That is Andrew. He introduces his brother. We, in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, I don't know if you know the story, but Jesus, he's, he's preaching to this crowd of people, and they're all hungry. I don't know how many of you right now, you're like, Jeremiah, you're preaching to a crowd of people. We're all hungry. Why don't you get us some Chick-fil-A? It's closed on Sunday. It's what Kanye says. And so we have this issue. Jesus, he's got this crowd of people. They're all hungry. They all need food. And Jesus goes to Philip. He says, Philip, how are we going to feed these guys? Philip, who's one of the disciples, we're going to talk about him in a little bit. Philip goes, we can't. We don't have enough money. Andrew says, hey, Jesus, let me introduce you to this boy. Andrew, always introducing people to Jesus. And then we see another story about Andrew, um, also found in the book of John, where these Greeks, the, these people who are, are, are different than the Jewish people, and they, they come up to Philip, and they're like, hey, we want to talk to Jesus, we want to ask him questions. But Philip, one of the disciples, he's too embarrassed to go to Jesus. So instead, Andrew must have been so welcoming, and he's that person that you can just sort of always go to. You, you just know that, 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 that they're comfortable to go to. Andrew must have had that kind of perspective or that kind of attitude, that kind of personality where people just could go to him. And so you have Philip, he goes, hey, Andrew, these, these guys, they want to ask Jesus questions, but I don't, I don't want to bother Jesus. Andrew's like, Jesus doesn't care. So Andrew just goes, he says, hey, Jesus, and I don't know if Jesus is having some very intimate conversation, if he's like in the middle of like leading somebody to himself. I don't know what's going on right now with Jesus, but Andrew goes, hey, Jesus, I've got these guys, they want to ask you questions. That was Andrew. He loved to introduce people to Jesus. He had such a close relationship with Jesus, he knew that there was never a bad time to let somebody know, you've got to meet my friend Jesus. That's Andrew. And then we meet this guy, James. James also is one of the disciples. He's one of the four. He's one of the leaders of this group. He was probably number two leader when it came to leaders in charge. He probably battled with Peter. They probably conflicted a lot because they were both very A personality, wanted things done their way. That was Peter and James. That's the kind of personalities they were. He had a brother named John. They were sons of Zebedee. Sons of Zebedee means, as you learn about the Zebedee, he probably was a wealthier man, came from a wealthier family, this guy James. And we know that he's part of that inner circle. 
He's listed in those multiple times of, of being there when Jesus has these major moments, whether it was when Jesus healed this girl. He's one of the three that got to be a part of that. He's one of the three people that got to see Jesus transfigured, meaning sort of change into his God figure for a moment. There's Peter, James, and John there in that moment. James got to see that. James was there when they were questioning Jesus, having these intimate questions with Jesus. James was there. James was also there as one of the three who was Jesus said, hey, will you guys join me in the garden and pray with me? That was James. But one of the things that we also know about James is James was passionate. And sometimes his passion, not sexual, but like aggression, got the best of him. You see, when people didn't like Jesus, there was this time where Jesus was traveling through this land called Samaria, and the Samaritan people and the Jewish people didn't like each other. The, the Samaritans thought they were better than the Jews, and the Jews didn't like them. The Jews just thought they were better than everybody, and they definitely didn't like the Samaritans because the Samaritans were a half-breed of people, like, and the Jews were like, we don't like them. So when Jesus and the Jews were walking through the land, they needed something to eat, and they wouldn't feed them. They wouldn't help them. And James comes up to Jesus, James and John, they said, Jesus, these guys are bad. Can we call fire down from heaven and kill them like Elijah did? Do any of you guys have that kind of friend? That they are like, um, they hold nothing back. I, could, I have another phrase I was going to say, but I just can't. But they hold nothing back. They're just like all or nothing kind of guys. That's James. So these guys, James is like, you know, if they don't like you, Jesus, let's call fire down from heaven like Elijah. And Jesus is like, man, Elijah didn't call fire and kill anybody. It was a sacrifice. It was already dead. You want to kill an entire nation of people? And James is like, yeah. So Jesus gives he and his brother the nickname Sons of Thunder. They are the first tag team wrestling team of the world. You've got the Sons of Thunder and James and John. That was James. James also is one of the, James and John, they, they went up to their mother one day and they said, hey mom, Will you go and ask Jesus if we could sit at his right hand and his left hand in the kingdom of God? How do we know this? Because Mark's account tells us that they actually persuaded their mom to go and ask. It's sort of like getting your mom to go complain to coach that you could play more. It's that same idea. Hey, mom, will you go? I, I want to I have more play time. Will you go ask Jesus if I could be on his right and left hand? That's James. That's James. He, James is this. He, he's sort of a fervent, passionate, zealous, intense, insensitive, ambitious, and cocky guy. Any of you relate or know people like that? Yet Jesus uses him. James also, at some point in his life, God really, he keeps the passion. But Jesus reigns it in. Because I think having people, you've got to have people like that that are willing to run and take the hill. You've got to have those people that hold nothing back, that will go all or nothing. Those are the kind of people that you rally behind. Those are the kind of people that go and they just take hills and you're just falling behind them like, if you're going to go that way, then I'll go with you. And you're like, I would never act like you, but I'll follow you. See, Jesus got a hold of James's heart and changed him. And at some point in history, which we don't know where, James's heart still was passionate. It was controlled by the Lord. Because the thing is, when you make a choice to follow Jesus, he uses who you are, but he makes you better. That's what Jesus does. He uses your failures, your faults, all those things, and he makes you the person that you so desire to be. 
And so James, as this, as this fervent, passionate guy, the Jews hated him. They wanted nothing to do with him. They wanted him dead. So Herod, Herod Agrippa, he goes and he takes him captive. He kills him with a sword, and he realizes this made the Jews happy. So then he went and took Peter captive. P- Peter got away because an angel let him go. So we see that James never loses his passion. And then we meet James's brother. James's brother, his name is John. John we know a lot about because he wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. John also was a fisherman. He was, is the self-proclaimed disciple whom Jesus loved. He is the second of the brothers of the sons of thunder. So we know that John, even though some of you may, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but as, as John comes to the end of his life, he's known as, as the loving disciple. If you see any pictures of John in like the old like Renaissance, he's always known as this one that has like these dove eyes looking at Jesus all gentle and soft like ooh. that was not John. John is a fisherman. John is the one that's like Jesus, hey J- James and John like Jesus, brothers together like let's call thunder, let's call let's call fire down from heaven and kill. He was not like hey Jesus. Oh I think we should. No, John was like, let's just kill him. So this idea that the Renaissance have tried to capture is the wrong idea of John. John was a rough, tough, not your kind of guy that you just, he's not somebody you would pick on your team. Yet Jesus picks him. He was the son of thunder. He did not become the disciple of love on his own account, but he learned it from Jesus. John is also one who just sort of speaks his own mind. At one point, he hears these, these, these guys, this, this guy who is rebuking a, a demon out of somebody. And John doesn't know the guy. He knows he's not one of the 12. And so John goes up to him, and he rebukes the guy. And he goes up to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, I just want to let you know, I heard a guy rebuking a demon out of somebody. And Jesus is like, yeah, what'd you do? He goes, I rebuked him. I got in his face, and I said, hey, you don't do that. You're not on our team. And Jesus is like, John, John. I love you. I love you. You know, you ever get that, you get that person like, I love you, but let's, let's bring it down a couple notches, John. And, and can any of you relate to John? Maybe you, you could be like a John where you're just like, bah! but at some point, some point, the more you let Jesus grab your heart, the softer it becomes. Some of you may be in here, you, maybe you struggle with your temper like Peter, James, and John. You look at Peter's letters later on, it says he uses the word sincere. Can you imagine some really big, tough, mean, gruff person all of a sudden starting to use the word sincere? Like this, they become soft. You're like, what in the world happened? When Jesus grabs your heart, he changes you from the inside out. And that's what happens to John. By the end of his life, it says that John, he, he was carried on a bed, and anytime he, they'd be bringing him to church, he would say, little children, love one another. His mantra became about love. And then we meet a guy, Philip. Philip is probably the leader of the next group of disciples, the one that sort of led that group. And, and as, uh, I, I, as we look at Philip, we realize he was probably like the second disciple Jesus chose. He's, he's the first disciple that Jesus says to him, follow me. He's the first one Jesus uses the words, hey, Philip, will you follow me? 
follow me. Philip, he was probably a facts and figures kind of guy. He was a very by-the-book kind of guy, very practical kind of guy. He was not a visionary in any way. He, he was sort of a party pooper, a pessimistic, narrow-minded, and so many times he missed the big picture kind of guy. Any of you, can, any of you relate to that kind of guy? Just sort of your, that's just sort of you. You're, you're by the book, you're, you're a pencil pusher, you're, you know numbers and all that kind of stuff. He often focused on things that can't be done instead of seeing the possibilities. He was a cynic. He probably also was a fisherman. But here's what we know. When Philip made a decision to follow Jesus, the first thing he did is he went and found his friend Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, you've got to meet Jesus. So we do know that about him, that he went and introduces Nathaniel, his friend. But it seems like he was, it seems like at some point or in some way, Philip was over the money or over leading or, or he was like the organizer of the group of some, in some way. And when it came to the feeding of the 5,000, Andrew went and found the lad. Jesus went and found Philip. He said, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Now, Jesus is testing Philip to see if Philip can see the big picture. Philip goes, Jesus, he starts adding up in his mind. I don't know how many of you, as soon as like something, you're in a situation, you can immediately add up a number. Somebody, I asked the students, I said, okay, students, I've been going to camp since I was this old at this time. And one of the students immediately was like, you've been to 52 camps. I'm like, you, you know math way too well. We're at camp, not math camp. And so, but Philip was always in that lane. Jesus says, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Philip immediately goes, Jesus, even if we had we got about 5,000 people here. If we had 200 denarii, that's not even enough to feed them a little. That's immediately where his brain went. Can any of you relate to that kind of thing? And he immediately went to, we can't. We can't do it. There's no way. That's impossible. It can't be done. Any of you relate to that, that kind of a disciple? Maybe you're not mean like Peter, James, John. You don't want to throw fire, but you're a Debbie Downer. You're a, it's impossible. It's never going to happen. That's Philip. Philip says, Jesus, it can't happen. But Jesus made it happen. Because Jesus likes to take our imperfect life and make it perfect. Jesus likes to take our impossibilities and make them possible. That's what Jesus does. And then we meet Nathaniel, Philip's friend. We, we don't know a ton about Nathaniel. What we do know, we, we, in, in, this, in John chapter 1, we, we see where Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, you've got to meet this guy Jesus from Nazareth. The things we know about Nathaniel, we know Nathaniel was probably somewhat of a bigot. He was racist, self-centered. Because his, in, his first response when he says, hey, I, meet, I want you to meet this guy from Nazareth, he says, what good could come from Nazareth? That would be like, if you're anything from Arizona, that'd be like, hey, what good could come from Trevor Brown? That would be like, what good if you're, you know, that, so you think Israel is just, it's a, it's a whole country. So that would be like saying, so what good could come from New Mexico? Th that's, that's this idea. That's like, okay, there's nothing good coming from, that's this attitude of you just don't even like this group of people. You don't even like these kind of people. That's Nathaniel. That's his first words. But what's cool are Jesus' first words to him. He comes up to Nathan, Nathaniel comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, look it, Nathaniel, a man with no deceit. He says, you speak your mind, 
you're honest, you're real. Can any of you relate to a Nathaniel? And then we meet Matthew. Matthew wrote an entire book, but we know so little about him because Matthew is, it is so not self-centered. He's a pretty, seems to be a pretty humble kind of guy because he doesn't really mention himself. He only mentions himself like twice in this whole book. He writes a whole book, but what we do know about him is he's Matthew, a Levite. So he knows that he's from one of these chosen groups of people that followed God, that, that were part of the worship of God. That was the family he was raised in. So his family probably considered him an outcast because at some point in his life, he becomes this Roman fanatic. He loves the Romans. He loves them so much that he becomes a tax collector where he's taking money from his own people to make the Roman Empire rich. He becomes this, this person that's on this political spectrum that everybody hated of his own people. So that's Matthew. We we know that he's this outcast in his own people, that he wants nothing to do with him. Yet Jesus comes to him and he says, follow me. And in, Ma- and in Matthew chapter 9, I believe it is, we read the story where Matthew tells about his friends that he invites. And, and the Jewish leaders, they say, Jesus, how can you go eat with his friends? Because they are tax collectors and sinners. They're the worst of the worst. We see that's Matthew. Who re- he realizes he's so far from God, yet Jesus says, I want to use you. I want to use you because you're nothing like anybody that anybody would ever choose. And then we meet Thomas, nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Jesus, I-, I think Jesus liked to give people nicknames. Any of you have that kind of friend? It's like no matter what, they give you a nickname. It's like, hey, no, no, that's not your name. I'm going to give you this name. And they just always give you a nickname. I wonder if Jesus was the nickname guy. I don't know. I know he gives James and John, sons of thunder, and he gives, he gives, Aunt, or he gives Simon the name Peter, and I don't know if he's the one that gave Thomas, hey, what's up, Doubting Thomas? Hey, what's up, twin? But Thomas had a couple nicknames. Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. He was probably also a pretty negative person. He was a worrier. He was sort of a Debbie Downer. We're told in John chapter 11, verse 16, that he had a twin, but we never meet the twin. John is the only one that really gives us any information about him. We know that in, in, in John chapter 11, when Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus dies, so Lazarus is dead, and Jesus says, guys, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and they go, well, if he's asleep, then we don't need to go to him, and Jesus is like, oh, he's not really asleep, he's dead, he, he died, he's like dead, dead. They go, but Jesus, if we go back to Jerusalem, they're going to try to kill us like they did last time. And Jesus says, well, we're going there anyways. And Thomas, being the, the, the Debbie Downer, being the realist that he is, he says, well, I guess if we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're all going to die. Any of you know that person that just takes things to the extreme always? It's always the worst of the worst, the bad of the bad. That's Thomas. Yet Jesus says, I can use you. I can use you. And then we meet this guy, James, the son of Alphaeus. James, he's only mentioned a couple times, and all we really know about him is he's given the nickname in Mark, James the Less. And this idea of James the Less, it could mean he was shorter. It could mean he was younger than everybody else. It could mean that he was quieter than everybody else. It could mean all of them. It could mean that James the Less was that person that was never outspoken, never got in front of the people, never did anything to make a noise, but was always faithful coming alongside the 12. That might be James. Some of you, that might be you. You're like, so could God use somebody that's just less? I'm, I'm, I'll never get on a stage. I'm never going to serve in kids' ministry because 
kids just scare me. I, I'm, I'm not a worship person because could, I couldn't play a tune if I had to play a radio. And so some of you might be that. But James was one of the 12. Maybe that's like you. And then we meet a guy named Simon the Zealot. So I, I want he was a he was part of the political party that wanted to get rid of Rome. He was considered a terrorist. He was the complete opposite of Matthew. So I want you to picture you have Matthew who is pro Rome, and then you have you have Simon the Zealot who is pro hate of Rome. They're on the same team. They're actually in the same group. They're in the same squad. When you have squad one that goes out, Matthew or um, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they're squad one. They go out. They're the starters. And then you've got the, the second string comes out. He's part of that second string with Matthew. You've got Matthew and Simon the Zealot, complete opposite. They're the opposites on politics. They're the opposites on everything possible in life. But yet Jesus says, I want you on the same team. Here's the thing. If you go to a church that is everybody thinking the same way, doing the same thing, looking the same way, you're at the wrong church. If you're not stretched because people say things that are complete opposite of how you think, then you're at the wrong church. You want to be stretched. So you know that Matthew and Simon, the, the zealot, you know there were times when they're like, oh gosh, they, they walked up together. They were both going to walk in the door at the same time, and they're like... Simon the Zealot, he probably had a dagger. Those guys were known to carry this small little, it was called a Sakari dagger. It was a small curved dagger that could easily be hidden on, their cap, on the inside of their cap. So you know that any time Matthew walked up and Andrew was like, or not Aunt Simon's like, Matthew's like, you go first. But you see, they learn to work together. Because when your focus is Jesus and nothing else, when your focus is serving Jesus and nothing else, you realize Jesus is the only priority. But what happens so many times is we allow our, we allow our bias that have nothing to do with Jesus to get in the way. But Jesus got these two guys who were on the opposite squads. You have a terrorist in Simon the Zealot. You have Matthew who's a tax collector stealing from people who give up who they were. They give up who they are and say we are followers of Jesus first. They give up everything about their personality, everything they think about, what defines them. They said, we are followers of Jesus. That is Simon the Zealot. And the last, or second to last guy is a guy named Judas, son of James. He had a few nicknames. Judas, not Iscariot. Can you imagine two Judases on the same team? One is known as the bad guy. And every time you go around, they say, what, weren't you one of the disciples? Yeah, what's your name? Judas. Judas? No, I'm <laughs> Judas, not Iscariot. Oh, Judas, not Iscariot. Okay, but he had a few nicknames. Some of his other nicknames, one of them was Thaddeus. And when you look into the meaning of this, it's, it's a nickname. It actually means breast child, meaning a nursing baby. Here's what this idea of this name means. It means they might have thought of him as a mama's boy. So he might have been just that sort of different kind of just never really aggressive, always just sort of maybe a little more gentle, always wanting of his mom kind of guy. That, that is what people believe Judas, son of James, was probably more like. That was Judas, son of James. And the last and final one was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, his name means God leads. The one who, who oversaw the money, 
The one who questioned whether or not when Jesus, when, when the lady was washing Jesus' feet, whether or not that was a waste of her time and money. Judas, who probably never believed in Jesus, just wanted to leverage himself up and climb the ladder. Each of these men were very different. Each of these men were completely different in how they lived and what they did, yet Jesus took these imperfect men and made a perfect team. Jesus took these imperfect people, and it's just, this is just the men. This isn't the Marys. This isn't Mary Magdalene. This, is, this isn't all the different people that Jesus used. This is just the, the, this first group. Jesus took these people who are so far from perfect, so far from being anything. If you were to define a team, you would not pick them. You wouldn't draft them. You wouldn't choose them. You wouldn't look in a crowd and be like, okay, I need you, you, and you, and you. You would pick them and say, I've heard about you. I know you. You're a jerk. Uh, you don't like people. You're a weirdo, and you can't do anything unless you ask your mom's permission. I don't want any of you on the team. You would go and say, okay, I want you. you none of these guys. You see, these are far from perfect. But Jesus says, but you're perfect for me. You see, Jesus is looking for available people, not perfect ones. Not perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing, nothing, things that are. So no human being might boast in the presence of man. You see, God is looking for the broken, the hurting, the ones that the world has sort of checked off and said, no. And Jesus says, I can use you. I can empower you. I can change you. I, I can take that rough, tough kind of guy. I can take that, that, that negative kind of person. I can take that, that person who just can't see the big picture. I want to take you and use you to change the world. You see, Jesus, when he made a decision to change the world, he picks the people that nobody sees any potential in. It says he picks the foolish, the low, the despised. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Jesus looks at you. He says, you are a masterpiece. Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Peter, you're a masterpiece. He looked at Philip. He says, Philip, you're a masterpiece. He looks at Mary, Mary Magdalene, this prostitute, this woman who is so far from being anything. He says, you're a masterpiece. And I can use you. I can empower you and do things through you that you never could dream because when you put your life in the hands of the master when you trust him like the disciples each of these 12 men well except for Judas he, he didn't he killed himself but those 11 men the first 11 when they said okay Jesus you know what I'm far from perfect I'm so far from being the person that I know I should be but Jesus will you use me Can, can I follow you? Can, is it even possible to use a person like me? 
Jared, last service, he quoted out of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year the king Uzziah, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled his temple. Isaiah says, Who am I? I'm a man of unclean lips. What can I do? And the angel comes down and touches his lips with a coal and makes him clean. Then Isaiah overhears this conversation with God and the angels. He says, hey, we've got this world to save. Who will go for us? And Isaiah, who just said, I am a man of unclean lips. I am so far from being perfect. Isaiah says, God, will you send me? I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what you think about yourself, but there's not one of us in here that you can't go to God and say, God, will you send me? You can't say, but I'm too young. No. The disciples were all somewhere between the ages of probably 15 to 20 years old. They were young men. God, will you send me? I'm too broken. Okay. The disciples were pretty broken. I mean, you couldn't get much more broken than Peter who just straight up, I mean, cuts the guy's ears off trying to kill the guy. He's going to cut the guy's head off, but he's got such a terrible aim. God, could you use me? Send me. So I don't know where you're at right now. But Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He's not done with you. Jesus not only wants to make your life better, but he wants to make you better at life. That's truth. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Jesus, that you desire to change us from the inside out. Lord, I don't know where we're at in this room with you. I don't know what's going on in our hearts, but Jesus, I ask that you would change us. You know, and I feel right now like there's some of you that what your next step is to surrender your life to Jesus. What happened? Each of these disciples had a choice. Do I want to follow Jesus or not? I could stay the way I am. Peter could have stayed a mean man. James and John could have stayed fire-blowing kind of guys. Uh, Philip could have stayed being just a negative kind of person. But what they did is when they said, Jesus, I want to follow you, Jesus started to change them. And Jesus took those things that were in the world's eyes negative and just started taking Peter's just sort of abrasive attitude and sort of gave him these leadership qualities. He took Philip who saw the negative, but you see, sometimes that person, you need that person in your life that says, hey, you know what, maybe I know you really want to buy that truck, but you only have $10 in your account. And you only make minimum wage. And that truck costs more than you'll ever make in like nine years. So maybe that's not the wisest thing. You see, what Jesus does when you give him your life, he takes who you are and he changes you. But each disciple made a decision at some point and said, I want to follow you. And if that's you right now, I ask that you pray with me. Say, Jesus... Will you take this broken me? Jesus, will you forgive this broken me? Will you 
heal me and set me free. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and I choose today to follow you. Jesus, you see our hearts, you see our hands. Jesus, we all desire to follow you with our life. So Jesus, I pray that you take each and every one of us, no matter where we are, no matter how broken we are, and would you heal us and make us whole? And it's in your name, Jesus, that we can pray. It's only in your name that we can have a power to live. It's only in and through you that anything can be done. So Jesus, I thank you for showing us that you can use broken people because that's what this room is full of. So use us to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you decide to follow Jesus while listening to this podcast today? We want to celebrate with you and help you with your next steps. Click the link in the podcast description to get connected with a pastor and your next step. If you want to learn more about what's going on at City View, download our City View app through the App Store or the Google Play Store. You can find everything from special events, outreach opportunities, and additional resources all in one centralized location. Links are in the description below. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our website at cityviewphx.com or download the CityView app on the App Store.